0: Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 112, the podcast where we talk about everything and anything that's got anything to do with photography, video, and things related. If you are listening to the audio version of this, you know, be reminded that there's a fully-fledged, fully technicolored uh, video version over on YouTube, um, you know, check that out on youtube.com forward slash camera shake, um, and, you know, whilst you're there, why don't you just hit that like and subscribe button, ring the bell and do all the good stuff that YouTube has always tell you to do because that would be fantastic. Anyway, I hope you're all well. We're back. And uh, yet again, we're not in the same room together. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just for convenience today. Just, uh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Timings, timings, timings. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. So this is Wednesday night <laughs> and we will release in a few hours.
0: Yes, we exactly. So yeah, sometimes, sometimes we're cutting it. Cutting it a little fine but yeah always it's you know it's all good it's all good
1: i remember the days when we had several weeks in the bag at, at times
0: <laughs> yeah i was thinking about this the other day actually that was uh yeah those were the lofty days of like being you know not allowed to yeah. leave the house
1: <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> unfortunately work and life is just gets in the way
0: yeah yeah but you know it's okay. it's good to be busy i mean that's what i say apparently yeah true Absolutely agree. Ah.
1: Yeah.
0: What what you been up to? Um, well, I've been actually. I've been I've been doing two things today. I've been working on my website, and um, I have I've been doing a a test shoot with gels today. Um, that was my that was my you know my mission today. Um, I have a shoot coming up uh, tomorrow where I'll have to I have to match some of the backgrounds for a particular. Uh, agency shoots it's basically an acting headshot, um, Mm. type of thing, but the, there's a very particular agency that's involved in that. And they typically have very particular backgrounds for children. This is a child actor basically. Um, and so I've got to try and match the backgrounds and because for obvious reasons, I'm not going to go out and buy tons of paper rolls in different colors. Um, I'll Mm. just simply gel the whole thing because, you know, Mm -hmm. It's yep. just an easy solution. And so, you know, I was uh I've been experimenting a little bit trying to match those uh, those yellow and blue colors. And actually, yeah, it's working really well. Yellow and blue. Yes, yeah, yellow and blue, yeah. So basically that's that seems to be the theme. So although, you know, for a typical um you know, a headshot session we'll do a number of different looks, but I have to include those because that's basically what the rest of the website is based on Uh, when when I look at the agent's website. So, uh, so we'll, we'll do something to spec and then we'll also do a range of other looks, you know, it'll be interesting. Yeah. So what's, what's your setup for, for this to, to gel the background?
1: What's what are you using?
0: Okay. So it'll be, uh, it'll be a very simple sort of a thing. It's essentially, you know, one light on the background um, because I want to create a of a a site graduation. Um, so you have like a circular mm-hmm. hotspot, you know, behind, uh, behind the, the actor. And then, uh, you want to sort of graduate out a little bit, uh, because that's what I've, th- that's what I've noticed on the images, uh, on the other images that I've seen. So I'm, I'm sort of, you know, recreating that. Um, and I am shooting on a gray background, like a medium gray background, um, mm-hmm. because that just, it just helps to get more saturation in the colors. Um, you know, you have to shoot with a little bit, slightly higher power. On your background light, but actually, right. for my taste, anyway, um, it works really much better. Um, you know, so that's also. I think that's one of the one of the tips um, that I remembered from the Jake Hicks interview. Uh, you know, some months ago. So we, for those of you who haven't, you know, who haven't had a chance to listen to that. So uh, some months ago, we'll we'll link that episode up here somewhere or in the description. Um, the master of gel photography. Yeah. So we interviewed Jake Hicks, the master of gel photography. And uh, that was very, that's very cool. We definitely had a, you know, we certainly had an awesome chat and, uh, you know, learned a oh, thing yeah. or two. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, it's a very simple. You know what? I might even go back and re listen to that one myself. Oh yeah, they were talking about gels. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's been
1: ages since I've done anything
0: with gels. Yeah, and in fact, I, I remember, like, especially during lockdown, you you did a lot more with gels than I did. Um, I did. I think I did one little test shoot or something. I, I
1: messed around and tried a few things out. And mm. you know, what I, I did find interesting doing was, um, you know, again, getting just, yeah, you know, it just it literally, even if you're just changing the background, you just want a couple of different colors on the background and getting that, you know practicing a few different ways of where to place the lights to get to blend yeah. two colors perfectly together yeah. and without one overpowering the other and then not being kind of a dead spot anywhere. Yeah, um, And it, it's trickier than it sounds, but when you get it, you you get it. And yeah. so it many... does make a difference how high you have it versus...
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are so many different... Um so many different things to to pay attention to. in fact i'll tell you yeah. what i'm just going to get up for one second i'm just going to show you my model for the day
1: it's, if this is a puppy <laughs> it's
0: not a puppy oh it's not the guy with the hat it's my friend Murphy. it is <laughs> it is him <laughs> so i mean this is you know, this really is what i use um a, a lot actually uh sometimes i just use it to get focus uh um, you know and to set my lights real quick but yeah for those of you who so are listening to the i own... heard
1: i heard from your wife that you often put him in the middle of in between you in bed
0: it's <laughs> 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 a really good idea i should try yeah that. <laughs> the room reminds me of do you remember uh, do you remember alcatraz the uh, escape from Alcatraz. Yes, that is what it's like. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not made for paper. Match. <laughs> totally right with Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a true yeah, yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. went to actually I went to Alcatraz uh, some years ago and uh, Alcatraz Island, and um, they have they've turned the original cell or one of the cells into sort of a display with the original paper yeah. mache. In it, and it's it's quite interesting to to see. I've, I've seen a Netflix program where where
1: it goes through all of that and shows you all yeah. of that stuff. Uh, it's something to do with prison escapes or
0: yeah i actually paid i, know, I paid money like the other day um i think on sunday or something I was really bored nobody was at home so i paid money um <laughs> for this uh documentary series or, or it's a documentary um that explores alternative theories um about this particular prison escape which was quite it was interesting you know little conspiracy right. theory you know but but anyway so and for those of you who are listening to the audio version uh, what I'm actually holding up is a well, like a rubber head like a human life-size head um, that you can basically put on the on the top of a lighting stand and you can use that um, as a stand-in model when you're setting up lights or you're know, you're trying out different things and experimenting and stuff like that and I've, I found this really useful it's it's pretty much you know life size um, yeah my head's slightly bigger i guess because that's just because I'm big head. and if
1: if you want to practice you know avoiding shine off the top of uh, a bald person's head this is the one to use
0: <laughs> yes i mean so it's it's actually cool cuz you can obviously you can put hats on it or, or wigs or whatever um but the these also come in different uh you know different skin colors for example and you get male and female ones mm-hmm. and so you know depending on what it is um that you're practicing on it's you know it's actually a really good opportunity to get mm-hmm. one or two of those and practice different things. You, the, know, you know, how much does one of them set you back? I think I paid about 30 pounds for this. I think and I, p- I bought it such a long time ago. I can't remember. Um, Bargain. But uh, you know, I call him Murphy. It's my friend Murphy. Um, and so I very, you know, I very often put him together with Phil, the Phil light. And so. Oh, God. <laughs> uh. yeah. So, um,
1: it's uh, yes. Yeah, if that uh, upset anybody else out there, please comment
0: because he needs to know that those <laughs> jokes aren't allowed. Ah. But I tell you, what's really useful, especially when you're, um, you know, when you're working with gels or when you're gelling the background in particular, you know, you've got to really pay attention to um, this sort of ratio between the back, the, the background light and your key light, because what yep. happens is, you know, a number of things could potentially happen. And one is, for instance, um, your key light could uh, hit the backdrop. And what happens then is the, the minute you get sort of, you know, non-coloured light, white light onto the backdrop, it actually sort of washes out the colour cast that Absolutely. you get from the gel. You know, so you've got to be really careful with A, how you position the um, the key light, uh, the, the distance between the key light and your backdrop. And of course, whether you're going to use, you know, what kind of uh, modifier you're going to use to, but uh, because you, you, you know, because you might want to use a grid or not. Um, so... So using uh, one of these stand-in heads is a really useful thing uh, for that because you can, you know, you can get, the, and I would always recommend to start with the backdrop you know, get the background color approximately, give or take, where you want it. And then, you know, put the model in place and then start to make sure that you get the lighting right on on the model's head in in this case. Or if you're obviously, if you're shooting, you know, a three quarter or full length type of portrait, then. And yeah, I guess yeah.
1: the answer is if you position that that head and you have got your key light, and then that is washing out the backdrop, the backdrop a bit, but the exposure is great on the rest of the backdrop versus your your uh, your model. Uh, I guess so. The answer then is to move your key and your model further uh, further away from the backdrop, right?
0: Yes, correct. So you either angle you angle your key lights slightly differently, you know, if that's an option, mm-hmm. or use a grid. Uh, which obviously sort of centers the beam, um, and focuses the beam, and uh, us- I mean, nine times out of ten, that's probably all it takes to just get the yeah. you know to tame the spread of the light to the point where you're not actually getting any substantial spill onto the yeah. onto the backdrop. And it does have a different look: a grid versus no grid, right? Yeah. So you're going to have to. I mean, as always with those sort of things, you know, if you're finding um, that it's limiting um you know the the way that the the light falls onto your subject then of course you can always work with you know uh, with bouncing some light back in like you can work with reflectors mm-hmm. if you you know if you find if you find all of a sudden that your shadows are a little too too deep you know you want to kind of um adjust for that a little bit i've also i mean in my experience you know when i use uh, reflectors especially when i'm trying to avoid light getting onto the onto the backdrop actually you know just silver reflectors usually work quite well Um, you know, or sometimes I've switched to white. It just depends on, it sort of depends on the subject's complexion. Um, and it also depends on how much I want to fill in the shadows anyway. Um, you know, as, as you know, my, my studio space, my, my shooting space is really small and the, the walls are white. So half the time I don't even need a reflector because the wall, the natural, you know, bounce that I get from the walls is actually more than enough. In fact, you know, often I have to tame that a little bit by flagging off
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Um, that a little bit, you know, and, uh, and of course with, with any reflector, you can, the closer you move to your subject, the more of a bounce you get. So you can kind of regulate that just like you turn a light up and down, mm-hmm. you know, you just change the, the distance and often, you know, just a few inches actually make, you know, start to make quite a difference. Makes makes a huge difference, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and again, you know, if you're practicing um, with that in a, you know, in your space where you're shooting, then, you are just you're getting one of these model heads actually can work really quite well. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's slightly weird. Anybody who ever comes into the room and sees this, you know, on my shelf goes, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> Why have you cut the head off your blow-up doll? Exactly. <laughs> um, but it's coming, yeah, it's coming pretty really handy many times. And so, and yeah, and the, the second problem, or the other problem that you get when you're jetting the backdrop, uh, is it's basically backspill onto your model. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, you know, so that's so you gotta find this balance between the exp- which you may or may not want. Yeah, you which may you may or may. yeah, exactly but, right. Yeah. So for this particular headshot, I don't want that because I want the you know, I want I want the model to be pretty crisp. Um and so you can to experiment a little bit with the exposure on the backdrop. So normally, let's imagine, you know, if you're shooting on a white back like a let's say you shoot for like a perfectly white background. Um this is typical sort of headshot scenario um you basically you know you want to blow out the background with your background lights light Mm -hmm. or lights and so you expose you know you get get the exposure just to the point where um you're you're putting you're throwing enough light onto onto the background so that it blows out but not so much so that that light reflects back onto the back of the head of your subject and you then get all that fringing you know, because then what happens yep. is that light basically comes back and it starts to encroach on, you know, the subjects back of the head and the neck and the and the ears and exactly. possibly the cheek. So you gotta be really careful. And that's one, you know, useful trick I, I use to get into the ballpark. It's because when you know, and I've I've heard many different uh, people use different methods, like some people say, Oh, me meter the background, you know, to the same exposure as the key light, or blah blah blah. Um, and then it can go on and then I, then I go one stop under or half a stop under or whatever. But what I found really works really well is if you meter the back of the head. So you basically turn your if you're using a light meter. So what I tend to do is I turn a light meter around. um, I point it towards the background, and I hold it against the back of the head. And then if I get the same exposure on the back of the head as my key light, then I'm in a ballpark. And then what I tend to do, and that usually actually already looks pretty good, but what I tend to do is I might turn it down. A third of a stop, sometimes half a stop, and then I'm usually there. I'm usually at a point where I'm pretty much blowing out the backdrop. It's pretty close to perfect white, um, and I'm not getting that weird fringing, you know, yeah. on the on the, especially on the hairline stuff like that. So it's it's just it's like fine control, and you know it's it's better to underexpose a tiny little bit so that your background is maybe not perfect, it's pretty much white, but it's not perfect white, because you can always go back in post and fix it. You know, it's just yeah. when you get all of that fringing, it basically literally blows out, it blows out the edges of the, the hair and everything. The, yeah. And there's really nothing you can do to fix that. I mean, that is basically damaged. No. So it, you're better off just underexposing your backdrop, your background just a little bit. Um, yeah. So you can.
1: But this is why it's so important in those situations to set one light up at a time.
0: And, absolutely you know
1: and with those p- particular type of situations i'd set my backdrop light first yeah absolutely yeah until you know yeah. i'm i you know your model's a perfect silhouette you know is what you're you know you yeah.
0: you're, you're going for yeah absolutely yeah so you want to get as close to a perfect silhouette as you can um sometimes you know depend i mean it depends on a number of different things um but you know you can have a tiny little bit of light spill but broadly oh, sure. yeah broadly yeah. speaking um you know do you want to silhouette your subject and then, you know, build the the key light around that, um, and then put in the fill? You know what I what I tend to do, um, more often than not, is that I use you know like a, a sort of a three light kind of setup, sort of a background light, the key light, of course, and then I have um, sort of a side light, almost like a hair light, but I like yep. to uh, I like to create just a little bit of sheen along the, you know, along the back of the head and the, the chin um and you know just use a strip box for that sort of standard procedure yeah um and i use that on the basically on the opposite side of the key light so that's typically the darker side of the face and then you just you you etch out you create a little bit of separation between you know that side of the head and the face and the background especially when you're shooting a a dark background looks pretty good on a on a white backdrop too but maybe not as necessary when i've done that setup i've
1: that that hair light if you like is almost directly opposite my key yes correct edge. almost mm-hmm. or with, with with a few degrees difference depending yeah. on the angle of your model and all of that kind of stuff but yeah pretty pretty much right
0: yeah you're right so it is pretty much opposite um you can of course when you can experiment with different things you remember the um we talked to joel grimes about how he uh shoots his and he usually uses two of those edge lights um, two strip boxes or soft boxes, and you know the the thing then is really it's it depends on how much how much light you want to have on the edge. So you can as you move the uh, your your rim lights basically forward, what happens is that light will in, it will sort of encroach your face, yeah. on the side of your face, and it will come closer to the to the towards the nose. And so you just you know you just want to basically creatively decide how much of that. Um, do you like you know what's your style? Do you want to have like a full on, you know, edge light there, or do you just want to do you just want to have a hint of it, or you know whatever the thing is? So it's, it's funny when I very first did that kind of setup, uh, and this goes for
1: video too. You know, you're always using a, a hair yeah. light in those situations. It always amazed me how little power you needed to get. Yeah, just and you only ever want that little touch, and it can just take. A third of a stop, half a stop, too much. And it's it's just, it is way too much. <laughs> yeah, the funny thing is, sudden.
0: I think, you know, whenever whenever I see anybody who's just starting to experiment with with that sort of lighting setup, um, the first I mean, the first shots are always way overblown. I mean, it's, you know, you look at those and mm. you're like, oh, wow, okay, you, you didn't need an edge light that's like that massive. <laughs> you know, you don't need to blow out that side of the face. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, it's just dialing that in. The trick with that just is really be... just to dial it back, you know, yeah. Um, I think you're better off having nothing there than it being too much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I remember when I used to shoot this with um, with uh, speed lights, you know, I used to set that speed light, I think, to an eighth eighth power, and then I usually used to go down from that. So I, I remember, like, shooting at 16th power, 32nd mm-hmm. pa- some you know, one over a sudden, th- well, I can't talk, one over 32 power. Um, so really, really not a lot. And that's, you know, we're talking a strip box that's probably, what is that, three foot by one foot? Something like that. So, you know, this big. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it just, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you get that, sometimes you don't. It just really depends on the subject. Um, you know, it just depends on the look, the hair color. Um, mm. You know, if they have very dark complexion, for example, um, you know, or whether they have really shiny skin. That's the other thing. Yep. You know, so or it also depends on what they're wearing and, you know, lots of different factors. I mean, yes, there are really no cut and dry lighting formulas for any of that stuff. You know, you can you can talk in basic ratios, but they are really just starting points, I think, you know, for what
1: And that's it. And that's the key thing, isn't it? They are just really good places to start. Yeah. If you're there, great. Now tweak from there until it's yeah. what you like.
0: That's it. I mean, that's really how I prepare for any shoot. You know, I mean, I know pretty much what the what the brief is for for that shoot tomorrow, and you know, I've got a starting point. But there'll be, you know, it'll be a matter of dialing it in. You know, with like with the actual model in, in situ, um, it won't take long because you're ready. You know, you already have a really good starting point, mm. and um, and then it'll be literally probably I don't know three or four shots and then by that time everything's dialed in and it's ready to go so yeah and the, be- the beautiful thing about gels is is you know because in this particular instance um we're only talking about a single gel in the background so it's not we're not combining colors or anything like that but um because the the lighting is pretty much the same it'll literally just be a matter of switching out the the background gel and creating a different color in the background you know and that's. Basically, it. So incidentally, you know, if you're trying to create some some variety, you know, with with your shots, just changing the background and just switching out colors is could be a really quick way of doing it, you know. Absolutely. And you don't have to, you don't have to spend money on buying lots of different paper rolls, <laughs> you know, or collapsible backgrounds <laughs> to uh, to to do that. I think one of the questions I get a lot is what you know whether to use a white backdrop, um, when you're jetting the backdrop and, um, you know, white or a gray or a black backdrop, what's better and what, what isn't. Um, you know, I actually, I've gotten to really like the medium gray, um, mm-hmm. because it's somewhat in the middle. I, f- I find with a white background, um, I find often, I find it hard to get a really good color saturation on those um and also they seem to be really i mean obviously because they're reflecting a lot of light back and you get that that weird color fringing problem on, on your model a lot easier um and with the black backdrop it's it it just seems to suck in the color especially when you're creating like a you know like a vignette sort of a thing is the color seems to fall off really quite quickly and you also have to use about three times the power on your light so if you're, you know, if you're using a battery powered light, so you just burn through your battery a lot quicker. Um, so, so the medium gray for me is just sort of the right middle ground. This seems to work really well.
1: Yeah, I mean, gray gray is interesting because you can. Well, white's white's interesting as well, actually. I mean, it's. I, I guess it it doesn't, In many respects it doesn't matter because you, if you've got white, use white. <laughs> oh, if sure, you've yeah. got gray, use gray. Mm. You know, you don't need to go out and get anything new or or special, yeah. right? Just use what you've got because you can make them both look the same, right?
0: Uh, exactly, yeah. I mean, pretty much. The, the thing is, um, it very much depends on, you know, your shooting conditions, for example. If you have a lot of space, you can actually, you know, you can move lights further away from the backdrop and you can maybe set up a bigger backdrop and you, you can, you have more flexibility. If you're shooting in a tight space, then... Your options are maybe a little bit more limited. You know, mm. so um, it's for me, for instance, you know, what I tend to do in a typical session um, is I sort of go through basically three different types of backdrops, you know, white, um, then a very dark, slightly textured gray, um, which I use for these kind of slightly
1: mm-hmm.
0: darker kind of headshots, um, sort of slightly moodier ones, um, because I like this slight. Of texture that, that that backdrop has, um, and for the completely black background type of shots, um, but it also I use the medium gray, um, especially for you know what we've just described, either you know when there's a degree of color in the background, or or actually when it's just a lighter gray that's just a plain gray and doesn't have any texture in it, then that, that roll works really well. And you know,
1: yeah,
0: it's just a paper roll. I mean, I've had that for some time, and it's you know. It works it works absolutely fine cool. it's also a quick way of, of switching out backdrops uh, because i mean you and me we both like these uh, sort of fabric textured backdrops um yeah and they are awesome they look really good but they are a pain in the ass to put up and put down and you know when you when you're <laughs> when you're in the session then uh, and you're changing you know backdrops and stuff whilst the client is dead and, then time is of the essence and you don't necessarily have the time to like, you know, unclip and take the thing yeah. down, fold it up and, you know, and all the rest of it. So so what I do is I have um, I have one fabric background or a textured background set up and then I just have a, I just use paper rolls in front of it. And I just actually, rather than putting them on the pole, I essentially have the, the main roll of it on the floor and I just pull Pull the backdrop up and then clip it to the top, which basically means then you know it literally takes me ten seconds to take that backdrop down and put it, and then another 10, 20 seconds to put a new a new roll up, and it's literally that quick. Wow, well, that's it. That's yeah. exactly what you want, isn't it? Yeah, and, you uh, know? and
1: that way, like you-, you say, it's one thing if you're at home doing
0: something for yourself or with a friend, or you're not being paid to do it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the other thing, of course, is I mean, this is this is like purely from a I mean, I say from a sales perspective, because ultimately, you know, that's sort of, uh, yeah, that kind of, what, that is what happens, you know, especially when you're, um, when you're doing professional headshots, for example, uh, with individuals, yeah. you know, where you're, where you're basically selling on a, you where you're structuring your pricing on a per image type of system, which is, I talked about this, uh, you know, two episodes ago. Um, I sort of went a little bit into like how you could, what different pricing models you could use. And so yeah. the, the way I do it is basically, you know, I, I charge a session fee plus individual um, additional photos on top of that. And of course, the more, ultimately the more photos I can sell in a way, um, the you know, the more lucrative it is. And mm. it, clients tend to, in my experience, they tend to sort of, they tend to buy shots that are different. Um, and more often than not, they'll basically buy shots, you know, that are instead of different looks, you know, so white background, dark background, whatever. So um, rather than buying multiple shots from the same look, you know, so if you basically, if you can, if you've got the time or you're quick and you can rattle through five different looks, you've got much higher chance of actually selling more photos at the end of it. And it makes advice. Yeah, exactly. It makes, you know, it makes a difference. So, um, so from that point of view, it's well worth thinking about looks, um, you know, how you can create them really quickly without having to change too many things, and mm-hmm. um, and also how you can make use of you know the space that you've got. So in my case, as you know, you know my shooting space, like I said, is very small. It's sort of kind of square, more or less, mm-hmm. you know, yep. with a, with a high ceiling. But I have a I have the advantage that I can you know I, I can have a backdrop i uh, set up, but then also have a perfectly white wall right next to it. So all I have to do literally is, you know, wheel my key light over, get the client to stand against the wall. And then what I do is I shoot sort of three-quarter shots uh, with them leaning against that wall, because they wouldn't be able to lean against, um, you know, a white paper backdrop, for example. But you can get, again, sort of a different look, and it's not, you know, a close headshot, but it's sort of more of a three-quarter shot. And so it's different enough so that people go, oh yeah, I'll I'll get one of those as well. So you know, so it's if you could basically plan it so that you've got a sequence of things, mm. uh, you know, you could a sequence of those looks worked out so that um, it does, you know, you, you just use minimal time to change from one look to another, then you just have a better chance of of making more money at the end of it, <laughs> you know, yeah. which. You know, which is that,
1: t- that takes yeah you know, a bit of time and a bit of ex- experience doing it, right? You know, and seeing what works best for your setup and your absolutely. style and the type of shots that you're taking, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know that's that's really true for I mean, really whatever genre of of photography you're in. I think you know if you're, um, you know if you're setting prints, for instance, on your website, if you're a landscape photographer or something, then you probably stand a better chance if you have a greater variety of shots. You know, mm. um. On your side because people might go and they might they might like a landscape uh, image you know like a nature type of image and then the next thing they go oh and that's a really cool city shot so maybe you know I'll get one of those because they're different enough if you just I think if you're shooting I don't know you know sunrise shots at the beach and you've got twenty of those very similar looking shots um, on your on your website or on your page there's really no reason for somebody to buy multiple shots. They're just not different enough, I think. Yeah. You know, and so you can kind of, you can take that, that idea and, um, and uh, I guess apply that to to anything. Um, you know, that's just, but again, you know, that's, that's just how I do it. Other people do uh, follow different uh, different ideas. So, you know, the idea of uh, having packages and stuff. And I talked about this as well um, a couple of weeks ago. I just find, you know, for me personally it's it's just very limiting and it just puts a it puts a limit on uh, what that session could potentially be worth yeah yeah. you know because i think not only in your mind but also in the client's mind that's it you know i'm Mm -hmm. I'm paying Mm -hmm. let's say for argument's sake 350 pounds for this particular package that comes with three images let's say just for argument's sake then they're not really going to be that inclined to buy a fourth shot i mean you know in their mind they're gonna go like oh well but that package already you know it comes with three then i'm gonna have to pay extra for fourth one so i'll just be happy with three whilst if you're if you're creating a situation where you know where they're buying extra shots anyway because it is a session fee plus individual photo um you know uh, fee on top of that then i think mentally they're more prepared to actually you know buy additional shots, especially, especially, like I said, you know, if they're different enough and it, they really look different, um, so that it makes sense because they just view them as, as different images mm. and, mm. you know, part of it in the selection process, you know, that's part of it as well, because you sort of, you whittle it down to the hero shot for each look, you know, and so because you spend a lot of time with each look, um, and the client looking at the images and you kind of bring it down to, you know, uh, you basically limit the selection, then you limit it more and then you eventually bring it down to the to the hero shot. They've already sort of gotten used to the idea that that's their favorite shot from this particular look. And, and really at the very end, let's say you shoot five different looks and they're looking at five images at the end, they're still looking at their five favorite images already at that point. Yeah. And psychologically then it's easier, I think, for, for the client to think, yeah, these are my five favorite images and so I'm prepared to by all five of them, you know. For example. So it's it's um it's an interesting, interesting way of working in it. Like I've mentioned many times, it's it works so much better for me. Yeah.
1: Here's a question for you. When you're in a session and they're picking those images out, are you doing any kind of processing on those images to show them at all? Are they purely the raw Yeah. Straight out of camera. <clears throat> so uh-huh. what
0: you could do is um, you could set up a preset in Lightroom that basically Lightroom applies when it imports the image. You know, so I should tether it. So as soon as the image, you know, comes into Lightroom, it would apply a particular preset. And that can come in handy in certain situations. But I don't actually do that. I don't do that at all. Um, Mm. They're really short. What I do is I sort of... um, um, I shoot wider because then it gives me cropping options because that's how I deliver images. I, I deliver them in the number of different crops and I don't charge extra for that. That's actually, again, this is sort of a thing where they, from a client's perspective, they kind of think, oh, I'm already getting a really good deal because I don't have to pay for these extra versions. And so they're more inclined to actually, you know, uh, maybe fork out some more cash on additional mm. images. Um, so as an example, for instance, I do, you know, what's called sort of a New York headshot crop, which is, um, which is like a, a vertical... You know, type of shot, um, but then also crop it in a traditional uh, headshot crop, um, which is uh, sorry, a horizontal thing, and then you basically, you know, your vertical is like your your traditional eight by ten standard, k- yeah. standard thing. thing. Um, so they, you know, they get two different, almost like two different looks for the price of one, at least in their mind. Of course, it only takes me about ten seconds to change that, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, and to be that So. You know, that's an easy thing. That's an easy thing for me to to do to add value to what they're getting. And then, when, if yeah. I think that an image lends itself to a black and white conversion, um, then I'll include that as well. Because again, it doesn't it doesn't take me very long to do that. Um, yeah. And yeah. and again, it just adds more value to the you know to to the client because they're really thinking, you know, if I buy if I spend this money on an extra shot, I'm really getting three extra. Images rather than just the one, you know. Um, And so, there again, it just means they're more inclined, in my experience anyway, they're more inclined to to spend some extra money. Um, That's what it all comes
1: down to, isn't it? It's perceived value. Yeah, exactly. And it is value for them. You've got to remember that. And that's what's difficult sometimes when we know that that only takes us an extra 30 seconds or a minute to do, for argument's sake. And not even, yeah. But that they, it's not that they don't know that or couldn't know that or whatever it is, at the end of the day, they've got two different versions of that shot or three different versions of that shot potentially. And that
0: for them is value. Yes. It's all about value, Um, you know, actual value and perceived value. Um, And I think that's, that's the thing, you know, so because I shoot things wider, um, I, I have to bring the client over. And this is typically, you know, the first time um, when I, when I bring them over, to my main computer and we have a look at the screen and I show them basically um the images from the first look that we've just shot I do that for a number of reasons one is because people tend to be nervous at the beginning you know mm-hmm. um and you know typically so what, what would happen in a typical session is you know they would sit I give them all the instructions about posing and all that kind of stuff you know and we, we would have already had a little chat to just you know to get to chill out a little bit and to relax and then um you know, I get the set, you know, I, I basically dine in the lights, um, you know, and uh, and I'd, I'd basically give them some some posing advice and all the rest of it. And then we shoot for a little while and then I get them to come over to the screen and we have a look at the images that we just shot. And the very first thing I explain to them is, is that I shoot things wider and then I give them a visual idea of what the two main crops that I deliver will look like because what I need them to do is I need to I need them to see beyond what they see on the screen and imagine what yeah. that particular image would look like cropped in either one of the two ways that I typically crop them um so they understand so they don't get sidetracked by you know a bit of the background stand yeah. in the folder or, or you know yeah, or, light poking yeah, you or know, any know, of that yeah. kind of stuff because otherwise it's, it's easy for them to kind of think oh you know I don't like this shot because of that. When actually the facial expression was really good, and they like a lot of other things mm-hmm. about it. So, um, so that kind of guidance, you know, is there. And you know, we then, but then typically we go back and we shoot a little bit more on that first look. Um, and what tends to happen is, is that's when things fall into place because they've now actually had an example of seeing themselves in what to them will look much closer to the final shot. You know, and so they also then uh, start to you know, start to understand what the directions do. Like, for instance, very often, um, if I, you know, if I instruct somebody to tilt the head or to move the chin up or down or whatever, um, or to turn slightly or, you know, they'll do it, but they don't really have a lot of feedback and they don't really understand what that does. So when I say tilt the head, I might actually tilt it way too much. But once they've seen some of the images, they start to understand, you know, what that translates into and actually what you'll find, especially once you then move on to the second and the third lock and so on, I don't really have to direct very much at all. They're really, you know, getting the hang of it at that point. Um, and, and so it just, you know, it takes a little while to get somebody into that frame of mind, which is why I, I always get, obviously, I get better results if I can spend some time with the client. And that's why yeah. I, I like this, yeah. I, you know, this idea of, um, of not charging by time where you basically say you get an hour and it costs you that much and you get this for it. Because the minute you say that, like, okay, so my medium package is an hour and you get three shots, um, you know, with it or whatever, then you're, um, you are immediately under pressure because you now know that you're on, you're on the clock, you know, and you know you're losing money the minute you go beyond, you know, past the hour. And also the pressure is that all of a sudden you have to deliver because you have to create three images that are actually good and that they like, you know? And if you just take all of that, so basically that means you're under pressure when you're shooting. Um, and if you take all of that away and you basically say, no, well, we have a session fee. We don't really put time limit on it. Um, and and then, you know, we shoot as much as we want. And then there are, you know, uh, you actually buy the photos. On top of that afterwards, you don't have any pressure because you can just go through it you can you can spend a little bit more time relaxing the person. You get much better results, and the minute you start to get much better results, of course, your clients much more likely to to buy extra photos, so, and you know. And like I've said many times in the past, it's just it really is a method that works really well for me. Anyway, you know. other people might disagree. The other, the, the other way feels
1: so old school in a, a way of thinking about pricing and how to run sessions like that. And that what what I think happens is, you know, you charge for that hour and, you know, you get your shot. And the client may well be actually quite happy with that shot, whatever comes out. But had they done it in the way that you're currently doing it, they could have got an even better shot out of it something that they are super proud of oh and and they would
0: yeah and also it's you know it's also a thing for for yourself really i mean you know um as you know not not every shot you or not everything you create is necessarily portfolio material you know but you're getting a much better chance of actually creating something we think like yeah that's that's definitely a portfolio shot that's definitely going to make it on my website or something you know and um and that's, that's good news because it just means that you know your portfolio improves and you know what people see improves and you know if the quality of what you do improves then you can charge more for it i mean it's ultimately when you look at it from that perspective you know it makes perfect sense um yeah i mean it's you know we've we've talked a lot about (laughs) about charging different pricing models or whatever yeah true um you know it's 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 an important thing from a commercial perspective but it is important important.
1: yeah yeah
0: but you know again creatively um you know this is how we started this whole conversation is how you know how do you create as much variation as possible uh, in a short amount of time with least effort you know gelling your background is definitely one way one way to do that
1: yeah that's it that's it um oh we yeah stop at gels because we've we, <laughs> we could talk about gels all night in fact that's a good example if you want an example if, you, all if,
0: night. if you're watching this on youtube and you want a good example for a gel background just have to look behind nick because uh you know the, yeah <laughs> that's a blue gel at work right there and No, no 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 That's the color of that blind that's
1: what's it's, oh, it's, it's always that yeah. color
0: <laughs> funny enough that kind of changes when i'm in the room because all of a sudden it goes pink
1: <laughs> we get pink and blue then <laughs> Yeah, Double I might color. mix it up and be pink. No. <laughs> My setup's actually a little bit different today. Is it? For being remote. Normally I just do our exact regular setup. Yeah. That we'd always do. But today um, I'm actually sat in the middle of the table rather than off to the side. So I'm in the center of the, approximately center of the room. Mm-hmm. Whereas normally I'd be, no, not yep, off that way. Yeah. Um, just for fun. Thought I'd mix it up, and I've not got the aperture light out or the big dome out. I'm just using a little LED panel today.
0: Oh, really? Okay.
1: Because I was a bit rushed for time, and that was handy and convenient. And I just set that up. Well, that'll do. All right. Okay. That'll do. Cool. So hopefully, well, we'll see. <laughs> it's alright.
0: Yeah. I mean, it looks. Like, I mean, from. From what I can see, uh, see, From what I can see over Zoom, it doesn't. I wouldn't have been able to tell the difference. I mean, probably if, no, you, well, if you if you look at it side by side, you probably can. But
1: it's not. As, I'm looking in the LCD of the camera, and it. it I mean, it's always it's difficult to tell because that's small and far away. Yeah. But um, it it doesn't look as soft as you can imagine. Yeah. yeah. There seems to be a bit more spilled potentially, but I don't know. Let's see. Yeah. I think I can get away with it?
0: Cool. Well. Wow. Yeah. Uh, there's been some interesting, interesting developments in the uh, in the in the land of photography news. Well, actually, no, I mean, interesting. But there's some yeah, there's some interesting stuff um, that's that's happened over the last week or so um, for for all of you Capture One users. If you are uh, using Capture One, um, because Capture One is now bringing its photo editing software to iPad. All right. Yeah, with some. Some interesting, interesting little features, cool. and of course, we already know this. I mean, we know this from Lightroom um, and Photoshop. Of course, that's you know, they've uh, Adobe has embraced the this the mobile format, mm. you know, for a while, and uh, you know, and uh, and I think that's most likely why Capture One have moved into that space because you know, that's I think that's where that's where things will be going in the future.
1: Yeah, I have used Lightroom mobile. More and more lately, um, and the reason being is that, you know, if I'm out and about, just, you know, we're visiting somewhere or we're, you know, going to whatever, hmm. I just want to do, you know, take a few shots on my phone and I'm just editing those phone shots, but I do it yeah. in the Lightroom app instead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's quite functional.
0: Do you use it, on your, it is quite functional. Do you use it on your phone or the iPad? Phone. So... I haven't used it on my iPad yet. So I've used um, Lightroom Mobile on, on my phone for actually for years. And I, you know, I've always used it to edit shots I've done on my phone or when I'm out, of, out and about, especially with the Fuji, for example, you know, I transfer, um, I basically always, I, I tend to shoot um, RAW and JPEG on that on that camera typically when we're out. And, uh, and so I transfer the JPEG image to my phone and I do a quick edit there. And actually nine times out of 10, that's, that's the image I would put up on like Facebook Mm -hmm. or whatever, you know? Um, And so I've liked
1: it. I was surprised, you know, I was surprised that they, they were able to add in, you know, select subject and, and things like that into that
0: little app. Exactly. And that's even, there are more possibilities even on the, um, on the iPad version of that, especially, you know, when you, Mm. when you work with an Apple pen, I mean, incidentally, my daughter's been, Bugging me for for an iPad uh, and, an, and an Apple Pen uh, because she does a lot of drawing. She actually does a lot of drawing. She t- she's turning into a really good little artist, actually. um She does nice. a lot of drawing studies. It's really interesting to see. She did some font studies the other day, um where she's been drawing lots of fonts, lots of different fonts. And, hmm. and uh, she's got a sketchbook, which she basically does all of a sudden she does like things like head studies and eye studies and lip studies and nose studies and all that kind of stuff. So it's. You know, it's interesting. It cool. It's interesting to to watch that develop. You know, because you can go back in her in a little sketchbook and see what she, you know what it was like three months ago, and you'd really see the improvement. So it's very, very interesting. Nice. Uh, but Love she's that. but she's been bugging me about um, getting her a new iPad with an Apple Pencil so that she can draw. You know, on that. But um, but yeah, coming back to Capture One. So Capture One is basically. Um, Brought out a, a new version of its editing software for iPad. Um, it, it's interesting because it does raw uh, conversion and it does, you know, uh, photo editing at, at the same time. And it's it's basically really it's designed to work with an iPad workflow. So it does include gestures, for instance, and touch and all the rest of it. So it's it's really it's not just a kind of a cut down version of its desktop software you know wrapped into an app um what they've done is they've really thought about the workflow and the process on a mobile device and sort of specifically custom designed it to work for that which seems to be really quite good um, that's cool Very and nice. also just uh, much like lightroom it also works with their uh, cloud file transfer protocol thing mm-hmm. so that you know you save your your files in the cloud and you pull them down and you know and so, on, so forth then, then you're you've got access to it no matter what device you're on, and of course Lightroom Mobile works in the same way. that you, you store your files in the cloud, and you just pull them up on your on your desktop when when you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it, it kind of means you can edit anywhere, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, as always, and again, if you compare that to Lightroom. Um, it's it's the same thing. You know, with Capture One, not all not all the functions. Of the desktop version are available on the mobile version. That's to be expected, I guess. You know, in mean, Photoshop, it's the same thing. If you've tried, you know, if you use Photoshop um, or Lightroom, in fact, on your, you know, on your iPad or on your phone, you very quickly realize that although it can do a lot of really amazing things, like masking is one one thing that's really cool, object removal or something like that. Um, but of course, it's in no way as sophisticated as it is on your desktop you know if you think like for instance if just take photoshop as an example i mean object removal i mean there's so many different ways that you can remove so many different objects and do so many different things depending on um what it is that you need it, you know it's just that's just not that's not happening on the, on the mobile version but it's you know for what yeah. it is it's actually it's uh, it's amazing
1: but i think they'll get more more functional um particularly with ipads um as you know the m1 chips ipads yeah. are obviously out already but the m2 chip and and so on and so on they're, they're just getting faster and faster yeah and, and it's, powerful, it seems right?
0: it appears that capture one are really aggressively developing that so the, it, it appears well, as they're, they're
1: doing the right thing
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it appears like this isn't just like a thing where they thought like oh well we've got to do it because the competition are doing it i think yeah. it's, it seems like I mean, it sounds like they're really very they, it. They
1: really need to be able somehow, um, as these chips improve, they need to get the iPad workflow, the iPad sort of experience, if you like, as good yeah. as the desktop experience.
0: Yeah, I don't really know whether that's really possible. I'm just thinking, you know, it, it will, it's, but that's what they need to shoot. They might not get there, yeah. but that's what they need to shoot for. If I think like, you know, th- my experience improved dramatically when I moved from my MacBook to, to the iMac. Um, and the reason mm. why it improved dramatically was because simply because of the screen real estate, you know, mm. um, for me, it was just such a massive thing, not having to be hunched over and looking at a relatively small screen. Um, but all, all of a sudden now you have, you know, all of this 27 inch of, of beauty in front of you of like 5k, you know, uh, resolution everything right in front of you. And, you know, I know they're bigger screens and I know they're better screens for for video editing or whatever but just coming from a macbook pro laptop basically moving to that that to me that was the buy-in basically you know and if i think as much as i actually love the idea of mobile editing and i know you know we've we spoke i think we spoke to frank dorhoff about that as well frank Is he, dorhoff yeah, he exclusively uses that right exactly um I I love the idea. I love the fact that you're completely mobile. You could take anywhere. I mean, you could sit in a cafe easily. You know, you could be on a train or on a plane or whatever. Um, And, you know, I I I do absolutely love the idea. It's just when it comes to doing volume stuff. Right, right, right. You know, I'm thinking I don't really want to be sitting on a couch or, or, or sitting on a desk hunched over looking at a small iPad screen. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like I don't a, know.
1: Some of those iPad Pros are pretty damn big.
0: <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're still not, but far not as big as. No, of course, and, of course. You know, when it course. comes to an iPad, would you want to carry an iPad that's twenty-seven as a twenty-seven-inch yeah. screen? <laughs> I, I think we're yeah. <laughs> I would well, see that. You know, well, it's not.
1: You know, at some point, it's not going to be screens anymore, right? It'll be yeah. projected in such a way that I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, what's coming? Yeah, but... what,
0: ha- what happened to that thing a few years ago where apparently. um whatever it was was it the iphone 7 at the time or something or 8 was supposed to have a projector on it and it was supposed to project a keyboard onto the table in front of you and so you just tap that sounds like a crappy android idea to me i know but that was like <laughs> i remember those rumors and that was like what was it eight years ago or something obviously that hasn't materialized uh, yeah. but you know screens
1: it they're is they're not going to be around forever right it, they they at some point it will move away from screens to something else I, yeah. I can't really envisage exactly what that is, but they they will. And that's when doing stuff, you know, mobile, wherever you are, is going to be what's required. Yeah. But don't get me wrong, we are a lot... It's not going to be in our lifetime where we're going to be doing that. We'll be stuck in our ways and we will always <laughs> be on a
0: screen. So, Here's a question for you. You know, when you wake up in the morning and mm. you, like, you open your phone for the first time, do you have to crank the screen brightness up so you can see what's happening on the screen. Uh no. Oh, okay. Cause I've been like, you know, i I like I really can't see very I, I can't see very well in the dark anyway. Like I've really I'm blind as a bat in the dark. You know, so um you know that's that's always a problem for me. But I, I really like when I wake up first thing in the morning and I look at my phone, I need to really crank the brightness up quite a mm. bit to so, uh, get more that conscious. being said i i actually try
1: not to other than stopping my alarm i try not to look at my phone first thing in the morning anyway if i can help it right um unless i need need to you know not while i'm waking up until i'm out of bed and yeah. you know i'm getting up i try not to um because i i don't want my <laughs> it's, it's weird it's so, an odd psychological thing that i i don't want my the first thing that I do in the day is to to be on my phone <laughs> doing something you know I want to be getting up and see the cats and the dog and make myself but, a coffee or whatever it might be and then i'll i'll pick up my phone but, I,
0: I used to be that idealistic but you know've given up on it <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah I mean talking about s- screens i I did start to look at the the latest apple screen that they released whatever it's called what's it called studio display maybe yeah yeah whatever it is that and i'm I'm, you know i started seeing some negative things about it and then you gotta pay an extra couple hundred quid or whatever it is to actually have a stand that moves up and down and that apple you know full well that's absolutely disgusting (laughs) um but as well-made as it is and as cool as it looks and as you know, it's the typical kind of you know, brushed aluminium or whatever it is that they use, very, very nice. And then I was looking at a couple of other screens and I just got to the point where I just got so overwhelmed with, I have no idea, it's so much money that I couldn't justify it and I thought, you know what, I've got to stop looking. I need to stop researching these screens now. <laughs> Just and I did. you ended
0: up because yeah, he ended up spending too much money. <laughs> Otherwise,
1: yeah, because <laughs> I'm fine with what I've got, and it's actually great the the screen that I've got, like um, yeah. like my external screen, not my MacBook one. Uh, but the MacBook screen's actually fantastic too. It's very very good.
0: Uh, well, I mean, the thing is, you know, it, there's always going to be somebody who's like, oh, but the, you know, the IMAX screens, it's not got better color and this and that and blah blah blah. It's you know. I love it. It's perfect. It's perfect for what I do. Um, yeah. And uh, actually, I mean, nobody, nobody's ever complained about my colors. In fact, quite, quite the contrary. <laughs> so I think it's working out well, you know.
1: And that's it. That's it. Until it's a problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you know what. What's much more of an issue is is actually when your eyes get tired, um, and often that's because of bad posture, for example. You know, that, that, mm-hmm. I say this all the time. It, you know, it, it makes a massive difference on how you sit, um, how you look at your screen, and what your yeah. posture is like. Um, it's going to make more of a difference to your color accuracy as to whether, like, you know, your screen has a few more nits or less. So, you know, I mean, ultimately, because when, once your eyes get tired, you know, I mean, it's the same in, like, in sound engineering. You know, once, you know, once, you, once your ears are shot, when you can't really mix anything, once you can't hear any higher frequencies anymore, no, it's, no,
1: absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You've got maybe an hour in you, yeah, and, and and even even if your ears don't get shot, they become so they become accustomed within minutes to what you're listening to yeah. that you no longer know whether yeah. that bass guitar is too loud or not. Yeah, or that exactly. Well, too loud. Yeah, exactly. You don't know. Exactly. You, honestly, you yeah. have no idea, which is why you constantly need to reference yeah.
0: or and in, understand yeah, or and in,
1: keep things as consistent as
0: possible. Exactly. Or in the mid-range, you know, you, like, you just stop hearing certain things. You're like, I don't know, like it's certain extreme like, noises on the guitar, for example. You know, mm-hmm. and then you come back the next day and you go like, why is this poking out of the mix so much? What the hell I mean, is so that? So yeah, exactly. I, I yeah. didn't hear that. And nothing's changed. Nothing's changed at all. You yeah.
1: Know,
0: I just couldn't hear it the But day that, see...
1: Things like that are the reason why I have a pair of NS10s in there as well, and a Cube 2, which they all focus on mid-range, and they yeah. highlight any issues, and, they, and that's why I switch between them regularly yeah. for my main speakers, because they sound different, yeah. and things. It's a sudden, it's a shock to the ears, and it goes, ah, right, okay, yeah. what's good? Because if it then's if it actually still feels good across all of them like that, you're onto a winner.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. That's why in the old days you used to uh, do a mix, you run a mix on a tape get in the car, listen to it on a car
1: speaker. I still, I will still not send anything out to anybody unless I've listened to it in my car. Yeah. It doesn't go. I refuse. Yeah. Cause if it works in my car and it works across those speakers like that and it works playing out the speaker on my iPhone. Yeah. That's the other thing. That's it. I'm happy. Oh, and I still have my wired pair of Sennheiser like earbuds. Right. Because they have this tendency to bring out sibilance. Oh, right, yeah, in a really strong way if it's there. Yeah. So I know if I listen to that and
0: I'm hearing sibilance, I know I need to do something about yeah. it. And you know, in, in photography terms, I used to do when, when I used to edit on my MacBook Pro, I used to do this all the time. I used to basically edit something, then I used to airdrop it onto my phone and then look at it on, yeah, yeah. on my uh, yeah, on sorry. my iPhone screen. And usually what would happen is it would usually be too warm, which of course immediately tells you that, you know, your screens are not calibrated. Um, And that's, you know, then at some point I really got into calibrating my my main editing screen. And since, since I've done that, obviously, you know, you now, you send your image over to, to the iPhone, you look at it and they look pretty much identical, Mm -hmm. you know, and then of course, then, you know, that's you know, that's yeah. that's best. but I used to basically do an edit so it look good on my on my MacBook screen and then send it to my iPhone, it'd be too warm, and then I'd literally go back to the edit and just change the color temperature just a tiny little bit. Yeah. just cool it down yeah. ever so slightly.
1: Yeah. And of
0: course it's a stupid stupid way of working.
1: <laughs> but, but you know, you know I, I calibrate my screens as, as well as you know, and hmm. I do my sort of external screen in the set, You know, I have certain lamps that I always have on in that room. I make sure they're always turned on. Yeah. I make sure my Same. blind is set in the way that I know I always have it every time yeah. I calibrate and redo it yeah. that way. And my MacBook screen doesn't get done in that room. It yeah. gets done in my living room. On your, on your sat, couch. On my, on my sofa because, <laughs> funny enough. That's what you said. That is primarily <laughs> where it will get used if I'm doing something that's relevant. Yeah. Because I'm just doing it on my laptop, because I'm, yeah. and that's where it's going to be. So it gets done there because it's as accurate as it's going to be. Yeah. Because I don't do anything on my MacBook screen in another room because yeah. I have the external
0: screen. Yeah, I mean, but we should do we should an episode about screen calibration. That'd be probably quite mm. interesting. Yes, actually,
1: we both use different software as well, don't we? For it. Yeah. Are you you use uh, the Spider stuff, don't you? Yeah, yeah it's a spider the Spider right least, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is and I use uh, X-Rite. Oh yeah, okay. or they got bought out, didn't they? By whatever they're called, I can't remember what they're called now. Yeah. But, um, whoever they got back, because I use their color checker, yeah, as well, and it just kind of, poor, just made sense.
0: Oh yeah, it makes you. sense. Yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: yeah, and you use Spider Color Checker, don't you?
0: Yeah, I do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the, you know that is of course when you're calibrating your screen, it sort of makes sense. Um, well, not only okay, so not when you're calibrating your screen per se, but uh, when you're then matching the color in your shots, um, then yep. of course it makes sense to have it calibrated by, you know, the same system sort of thing, because... And I'm telling you all right now, if you do video and you don't have one
1: of these, this is an X-Rite Video Passport. You can get the larger version as well, which <laughs> I would get, but it's super expensive, and this does just fine. But this is just gold. <laughs> yeah. You just put this... In every shot that you take, it's not always practical to do that. Yeah. If you're on the move and you're on the fly, absolutely. But if you do this, your white balance and your colors will be great. Yeah, they will. If you use multiple cameras, they will. They're not going to perfectly match because if they're different cameras, but they will get very, very close. And little little tip, because for some reason, not everybody does this, and this goes for setting your white balance, which this has another side to it too, which has your great white balance card, yeah. is don't bring it to your camera like that. Bring your camera to where it is you're shooting. <laughs> so if this is where your person is, this needs to stay here. If that's too yeah. small in your screen, zoom in or move your camera to it, not blocking your key light, yeah. and use that then. Same for the color side. Because guess what? In front of the camera here, guess what the light is very, very different. Yeah. <laughs> so, th- just little tip because I've I've seen it done, and that's not the way you should do it. Yeah, you keep that where your subject is, whatever it is you're filming, and you move your camera to it. Anyway.
0: I want Not to. A, I want to make a gallery of uh, of all the headshots that I've done where, where I get clients to basically hold the color checker up. You just go holding the color. Yeah. yeah. See <laughs> so if a whole gallery of just people holding these color checkers <laughs> <thing> up. <laughs> there we go. But that's why I do a custom yeah. color um, every time, every time I shoot somebody because there's so many different different aspects that mm-hmm. um, come into it. You know, the color of the skin, the color of the clothing. You know, may have changed the light position a little bit or used a different modifier or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it makes sense to do all effects. And it takes absolutely zero time as well. That's the other thing, you know. Oh, it's precisely. literally just hold this, hold this against your face, click, you know, flip it around for the gray card, click, done.
1: Done, done, right?
0: It, you just do that. I do that for every look. Um, they get used to it as well because obviously it turns to a bit of a routine. Yeah. Super simple.
1: And you know what? It makes your client, if they don't do it all the time, it makes them feel like they're in a little in a pro experience, which they are, right? You know, because it, it yeah. you know, it's, and it's, it sounds silly, but you think about someone who hasn't done that before and they're coming in and they're, you know, a bit nervous and but they get to, do, you know, hold up a colour chart it, and it sounds
0: ridiculous, but it makes them feel part of it and it yeah. makes them feel like it's, oh, wow, this is... And, you yeah. know, and the thing is like, of course, you always get the question, oh, what's that for? And then you explain it to them and immediately you think yeah. like, oh, okay, well, you know, the person... Who's photographing me? Obviously knows what they're doing because, you know, nine times out of ten, all of that technical burp just goes straight over the head. But it basically Absolutely. means that they immediately yeah. think like, okay, you must be an expert because you know about color weirdness. That's, <laughs> it. You know? so, That's it. And it works. So, and all of that really helps to uh, get somebody to sort of lose their nerves and calm, da- calm down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, That's it. So yeah. Anyway.
1: There we go. Anyway. On the, on go. that colour bombshell.
0: On that colour bombshell, uh, we you know, we'll <laughs> yeah, we'll talk talk a little bit more about maybe the process of um of you know colour correcting your screen um, maybe in, in one of the future episodes. But
1: well that'd be quite nice. Yeah, you know, a colour correcting your screen and perhaps, you know, how we go about using these colour checkers. Yeah, absolutely. And what we do with it once we've taken a photo of that. Yeah you know exactly or taking a a, a a video
0: of that yeah so let us know in the comments or send us a message if you are using a color checker and how you go about that um or, or maybe you don't maybe you think you know it's not necessary or maybe you just don't do the kind of photography where you think it's necessary um just uh yeah get in touch let us know um do you use a color checker or not It'll be really interesting to hear from you again as always you know if you're listening to this podcast in the car or in your office or when you're taking the dog out you know get in touch let us know it's always good to know where you are when you listen to the show anyway
1: and Tommy (laughs) you're in your car we haven't haven't called you out for a while (laughs) true let us know
0: (laughs) yeah actually don't don't watch the YouTube video whilst you're driving the car pro tip that is see it was worth watching this just for that
1: (laughs) there it is yeah
0: anyway so this is Episode one hundred and twelve of the Camera Tech Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I hope you learned one or two things, and uh, we shall see you again next Thursday.
1: See ya.